Cleo, wasn't that, that was the most amazing thing. Cleopas, Cleo, where are you, man? What are you doing? What's the deal? Why do you have bread with us? Well, this was the bread that Jesus was eating. Yeah. I really felt like we should take it. Yeah. I guess so, but man, this is strong bread, huh? I'm telling you, mm, you know, that's like the most amazing, this, that's the most amazing thing that I've ever experienced. I mean, what, what just happened? Who are we hanging? Let me swallow my bread. Yeah, good call. Let's hang it up. Yeah, it's good. Okay, listen, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of trying to figure it out. Okay, <coughs> wait, wait, this is great. Okay, so I mean, we know he's Jesus, right? I mean, right, so right. We figure that out. We're a little on the slow side, aren't we? So you, you remember, <laughs> what? you're going to be embarrassed about this for a long time. You remember how Oh, don't like, say it. Don't remind me. Oh. You came up to us at the beginning and you were like, hey, don't you even know what happened all this long? Didn't you even know it was Jesus the whole time and it all happened to him? Like I said, don't remind me. I know. How was I to know this guy just walking up next to us is like, hey, I'm God. I'm just walking along the road next to you and you can't recognize me. Totally embarrassing. Yeah. You win some of your <laughs> I lost that one. But listen, but tell me. Yeah. The scripture study. Oh. The talk on the road. So cool. Mike. Okay. <laughs> listen. That's I've been to synagogue a lot. Yeah. I've never heard of Haggai talk that. Like that was not your grandpa's scripture study, was it? No, huh? I don't even know who my grandpa is. Yeah. I don't know who Haggai is. I don't either. I think he's pretty minor. Yeah, minor guy. You know what? When he started doing that, all of a sudden, we're just stopped and listened to him. And he goes from all the way back to the books of Moses, all the way over here. And then, you know. Seriously, it was something about, what about when he got to Isaiah? Oh, I'm a total Isaiah guy, but I never saw that, what he was talking about. You know, I tried to, you know, yes, did I want a Messiah to come? Absolutely. Did I want the Messiah to be really strong with huge muscles? Preferably. That's what I was thinking. Did I want him to do this <coughs> to the Romans? Absolutely. But this guy didn't do any of that. He didn't do any of that, and so I missed the whole thing. I feel kind of silly that I never realized, in all the times I've heard Isaiah taught, and then me have read it and from the scrolls, I never even saw that the Messiah would suffer, and then he would die. Did, were you, did you catch that? Well, I mean, I don't know. I didn't really catch that. So you knew about that part? No, I didn't. Well... It's like no one ever mentions that, that the Messiah will actually have to suffer. Right, they always talk about how he's going to come in, and he's going to set Israel free. Yeah. Everything's going to be great. But that's not what he did. I mean, this week has been terrible. I know. It's been terrible because, you know, I don't know about you, but I was starting to buy in to the whole Jesus Yes, thing. I'm buying in. I, the, people, the people that hung out with him, they were the nicest of the bunch. Very convincing. Super convincing. But then the whole... Our leader that we're starting to follow dying on us. I didn't actually like that. That was really messed up. And then they buried him. That's kind of when I gave up, man. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, mean, I guess that's about when we met up. Well, yeah, and then I'm, I've been totally confused about, okay, we get the report back this morning. There's no body. What do you mean? Or yesterday morning. There's no body. And All that's not making sense. Then we meet him? Then we meet him. But when did it start coming clear to you? You go first. For me? Okay. By the way... Very nice call. When we come to that little fork in the road, he's going this way, and we're going this way, and you ask him to come to the house? I have a really good way of being convincing. <laughs> I believe that. Well, anyway. Yeah, come on, let's just step up here. Yeah. See, I told you. Well, <laughs> I couldn't believe, one, that he came. Yeah, really. 
two as we sit down to eat. Okay, all the, by the way, you had several loaves of that bread. Very good stuff, Thank by you. the way. Well, you know, my mom always said. Go ahead. Okay. Well, <laughs> interestingly enough, for me, I think I was blinded, and I couldn't really see him because I was so upset. And all of a sudden, you remember when he just took the bread? He, he, he was able to break it a little easier than you. He broke the bread. It was at that moment I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I saw him, but then. Right? What a, you know when mine was? What was that? When you disappeared. Oh, I know. Because I was like, well, only God could disappear. So That's a dead giveaway. Like, That's a dead giveaway. He's like. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. It was pretty good. I know it's. Oh, man. I just. It's hard to believe that you and I spent time with Jesus. He's alive, dude. You know what? I think it's no accident that God arranged that time for us. One, we, we were starting to have our doubts after we had the buy-in. And two, both of us, and I might say, especially you, you know, I've, I know you've been going through yeah, something. It's like I said earlier, I was starting to buy into it. I'm not going to lie to you. I needed something. I needed something so bad. I, it's, 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 it's like this. My family is fighting all the time. Right. My older brother is always fighting with my dad. The family business is struggling. It's not working out right. And that's our future. That's all I have. The Romans are taxing us more and more. And, and, and I just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And I've been so frustrated. I, I almost just wanted to run away somewhere. But then, when he started talking, didn't you feel your heart just burning? Are you still having a heartburn problem? No, not that kind of heart. No, not that deal. But I just mean it was like totally alive inside. I know what you You know what? I think after this day, everything changes for us. Everything's totally different. Lord, thank you. Thank you for, for coming back. Lord, thank you for conquering death. Thank you for conquering sin. God, we thank you. This was falling off the whole time. I won't say this. Uh, is it operator error? I will say this. I will say. I do not think we connected. And I will be interested to hear as to Walgamont's reasons, thoughts why. But we did not connect. Hey, bye. Good to see you up there. So anyway. Yeah, this is all I got, really. I have some old ones that have, have holes in the bottom. but <laughs> I think I, ga I gave them away. <laughs> yeah, really. Either tie fast or sing long and slow.
You sure dress funny, Stephen. Goodness gracious. Well, good to see you all this evening. So this is the sleep-in on Sunday morning service, huh? Y'all be praying for us while you wake up at 10 o'clock and eating waffles and everything. Y'all have a good time. No, we're really thrilled you could be here tonight to worship our risen Savior this evening with us on Easter weekend. And, and this story that we... Uh, tried to uh, illustrate for you tonight, found in Luke chapter 24, is one of the more beautiful literary and spiritual masterpieces and jewels we find in Scripture. It's a story that has a lot of intrigue, and you see the Lord uh, going in an undercover zone that He rarely goes to, but He is seeking to make a very firm and powerful point. And in doing so, we get to see some principles about how to keep Easter alive inside, deep within our hearts. Let me read some of the story that we illustrated for you a moment ago. In verse 15, it says, As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. It seems in verse 16, it's telling us that these two men were sovereignly kept from being able to recognize who Jesus was. It was as though they couldn't. And why were they able to at that point? I think because they were too discouraged. They were too down. It, it would almost be you go to a friend's house that's just experienced a tragedy, and they are so discouraged and so completely forlorn, and you begin to just, if you were to give them at that moment the four spiritual laws, or if you were to begin preaching the gospel to them they may not be able to hear you or understand you because their grief is so deep and so the Lord almost restrained them from being able to fully understand who he was until he prepared their hearts and then he took them into the scripture as we'll see so powerfully in a moment but in verse 17 he then asked him what are you discussing together as you walk along the road once again you might ask wait a second in our lingo, in our language, we might say that Jesus looks as though he's playing dumb for a moment. We know that he knows all, but why did he ask the question that way? Hey guys, uh, what are you talking about? Wouldn't that be so interesting to know that they are talking all about you, and you just sort of uh, ask them like that, and then they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are, are you only a visitor to, to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these days? Christ continues to sort of play as though he doesn't know what's going on and says, what things, he asked. By the way, I wouldn't read anything into this as though Christ is acting in a dishonest state. We see very clearly he's about to be overtly honest with who he was. It just seems that though he knows the condition of their heart and grief, has blinded them, and disappointment has seemed to overtaken them. And so Cleopas answers, and 
basically plays the role of that person. Don't you love that person when you don't know something? They don't mind to make you feel a little bit silly for not knowing it. You don't know what? That's kind of what he says about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And then he begins to tell Jesus about Jesus. <laughs> Verse 20, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But look at verse 21, very key in understanding the condition of their heart. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they didn't see. Now you can tell. They're totally confused, and they are short on hope. You know, I believe this story illustrates something for us, first of all, on your outline this evening. Boy, I was about to say this morning and might say that a few times tonight. But on your outline this evening is the first principle for keeping Easter alive in our hearts, and it's this, is to accept Christ as he actually is. Now, as you could tell from the way that we approached the drama, it was a very common mindset and worldview of a good Jew to be longing for a Messiah to come and free them from their tyranny and misery. No doubt they had a point. Yes, it was awful being under the iron thumb of Rome, and it didn't seem like they were getting a fair shake. But though the scriptures clearly laid out who Christ was going to be, who the long awaited one would be what he would be like what he would come to do it was that the people of the first century didn't care about that they wanted jesus to be a conqueror not a sufferer they wanted him to be a hero not one that would meddle with their own personal spiritual lives and so when jesus did not turn out like they wanted him to be they're walking along the road very discouraged. Have you ever had that in a different situation? Maybe you started out a new job that you were so excited because it seemed like it was going to be helpful and positive and encouraging, and after a while, uh, your coworkers are difficult to get along with, and your employer seems to be uh, a challenge as well, and the work is less exciting, and per after a while, you're not that excited about what you're doing. M maybe you uh, had a friendship or a relationship that began and there were high hopes for how he was going to be or how sh what she was going to be like i remember uh, susie's sister several years ago before she was married she was dating a gentleman seriously and uh, they had a good relationship they were both involved in church and met each other at church but they went through a, a difficult time in their relationship uh, and a, a, a certain issue came up and all of a sudden she saw a different side of him and, and so since they hadn't committed to each other in marriage and weren't under this bond of covenant she began to back up and say you know what I've seen a different side of him now is this really who I want to spend the rest of my life with and so as she felt led to end the relationship he's like what what's the deal I thought we were right for each other and, and she said you know you know when you squeeze something whatever's inside comes out and she said you know you've been squeezed 
by this trial we've been going through. And she said, I never saw Jesus come out. Now, I'm not trying to give you great breakup lines. Some of you are going, that is great. I've got, to re- I've got to remember that one for my grandchildren, you know. But the point is, is that sometimes someone is very different than we thought. And because of the, what we know about them now, we can, we can either do a couple of things. We can try to make that person be who we really wanted them to be. That's been tried and failed many times, hasn't it? All right, I really know about this person, but I'm going to ignore all that. And I'm going to help them be the person I wanted them to be. I need, them to, I need him to be this. I need her to be that. They're really not that way, but I can help them become that way. Or maybe I can just pretend that they are that way. That leaves all kinds of relational turmoil as well. Well, I, I would say this. Sometimes we do the same thing in our spiritual life. We love Jesus, but we love the Jesus of our understanding. You know what? We really love a super sweet Jesus. The Jesus with not so much Ten Commandments, but eight or nine. And you get to choose which ones you want to bring. The Jesus is really compassionate. Not the Jesus that's hard on sin and tells it like it is. We'd like the Jesus of compassion, not so much the Jesus at the temple that was turning over the tables and running out money changers. And you know what we must do if we're going to follow Christ as the Bible represents him and who he really is and say, Lord, I'm going to let you be who you are. And I'm going to adjust my understanding of you to you. I'm not going to ask you to become who I wanted you to be. And they had a real worldview shift going on in their minds because they didn't believe that Jesus the Messiah would ever have to suffer, would ever have to go through this. And all of a sudden, when things went south in their mind, they couldn't handle it. And we must let Jesus be who he is. Yes, the one that brings the sun also brings the rain. And he is the same one that we must look to in the midst of both. Well, something incredible happens along the way, and that is in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. By the way, this might be the kind of Jesus that you're not really into. (laughs) You like the Jesus that says, I love you, you're wonderful, you're great. But do you like the Jesus that looks at you and says, how foolish are you, and how slow of heart to believe? In verse 26, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All of a sudden, as they're walking along the road, that seven-mile, two-hour walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they had the best Bible conference ever taught by the Lord Jesus himself, the best sermon ever. And he didn't, even, he didn't have one of these in his hand. He's just talking about Moses and about Isaiah and about Jeremiah. And we, we have no idea all that he said. And we can see Christ in page after page in the Old Testament. But Jesus himself is pointing out. Now notice that he doesn't yet point the finger to him. He doesn't say, and by the way, it's me. <laughs> 
He just talks about the Messiah. He just speaks about Jesus at this point, but amazing. Now, this brings up a second truth for us tonight about how to keep Easter alive in our hearts, the, the power of the resurrection. It's number two on your outline this morning, and that is this, to have a scriptural faith. You're going, well, of course you've got to say that. That's a real preachery thing to say. You've got to have a scriptural faith. Some, do you feel like it gets too much on the level of almost Christian jargon for someone to look at you and say, hey man, now's your time in the Word. Ah, it's okay. Hey, listen, stay in the Word. Okay. Stay in the Word. What does it mean when we look at each other and say, stay in the Word? Is it just this kind of thing we're supposed to say? I mean, I ask people, hey, how's your time been in the Word of God? And sometimes it gets real quiet. Oh, well, you know, I've been faithful at church. I've been giving. I've been, but, but there's something about us that tends to pull away from getting in, from staying into God's Word. Now, there's probably several reasons for that. Part of it is because we don't like to be told what to do. We, we don't like for God to specifically point out because the, the, the Scripture says of itself, and you know it's true if you've ever tasted that the Word of God is living and it's active and that it penetrates, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's not just like pulling up a, a great old Western novel. It's not kicking back on a, you know, a sort of a rainy, uh, overcast Florida afternoon and just having some great literature with a cup of tea in your hand. No, this is a live book, and it's coming after you, so to speak, every time you open it up. And we've got to be men and women that want God to speak to us. Now, they were discouraged, and they had no hope. And Jesus pointed them to the place that gave them hope. And I would say the same thing to you, brothers and sisters. Why is it that we must, quote, stay in the Word? It is simply because this. We all know that life is extremely hard. There's not one of us in here that would say, you know, life is just one cakewalk after another. We know that life is difficult. And when life gets difficult, we, are, we always run to our worldview, to the way we look at the world. And when the more difficult life becomes, the more it messes with and affects our view of God. And if we don't get into the Word, we are going to have a smaller and smaller and smaller picture of who God really is. Because we don't quit listening to music. We don't quit going to the internet. You don't quit turning off and on TV and movies and talking with friends and socializing and doing this, that, and the other. And all of the time there is a, a fight for allegiance to tell you what this so-called God is really like. And if you stay away from the one source of truth, your vision of God shrinks. And so when difficulties come, your little small God helps you out. Your tiny little measly wimpy God is there for you. But if you are buttressed and strengthened and undergirded by the truth of the unerring word about the almighty God that rules over all things with power, with wisdom and love, and gave his one and only son to be the sin offering for your sins and my sins. And he took death and gave it the death blow. He conquered sin and he rose in victory. And you're living and breathing and drinking of that truth. You are ready for life to bring what it may because you know who rules. <laughs> you know who reigns. 
was they continued walking. In verse 28, it says, as they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus acted if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went into So he went in to stay with him. And when he was at the table with him, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Listen to this. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Interesting, isn't it? So they got to know him better. They had a great Bible study. He came to their house. We don't know if this meal was an evening meal or if it was breakfast or whenever it was because they always had bread at all the meals. Pretty good concept really, isn't it? Anyway, as Christ broke the bread, it was, it was like scales came off their eyes. And then they saw, they'd been looking at him, staring at him for hours now. But finally, they saw who he really was. And, and the principle for this, if we're going to keep Easter alive in our hearts, principle number three is we have to trust our eye-opening God. You know, oftentimes, the reason we say we don't believe is simply because we're not willing to believe. My heart broke this past summer when I was volunteering in our benevolence house that Bill was telling you about over there. And I was counseling, and one gal came in, and she was a homeless lady that lived in the woods here in Lake County. And she comes to our uh, benevolence place to eat, get food about once a month. And we pack a little um, special bag for those who are homeless that doesn't require, you know, cooking and things like that. And I was talking to her, and and she was expecting me to talk to her about the Lord. And, and so as I talked to her about Christ, she said, yeah, I, I, I know about that. And I said, really, have you, ever, have you ever given your life to Christ? Have you ever believed in the Lord? And she said, no, 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 no. I, I've not ever gotten personal with it, but I, I understand it and I know what you're saying. And I said, well, what would keep you from giving your life to Christ? I made sure she understood what I was talking about. And then she goes, well, I really can't say. And I said, well, would it be, and I may have listed a few examples. In other words, I felt like God was so working in her heart, but she just had this, it, when we got right to the moment of decision, she, she did this, and I said, well, is there anything you can tell me that might help me understand how I can pray for you better? And she said, you know, I just can't say. And I couldn't tell if she was hiding something that she didn't want to reveal, which, of course, I understand, or if it was just an unwillingness to go any further. And that seemed to be my suspicion. I had another friend a couple of years ago that died of cancer, and he was a neighbor of mine, and he loved, to talk, he loved that a preacher was across the street, one of those guys that liked to discuss religion, and he was an agnostic from year, for years, and we talked religion and God and politics and things, of the, things you're not supposed to, but he really liked to talk about them. As he got closer to his, he, he developed a very serious form of cancer, and he called me up and wanted to eat lunch, and I was thinking, yes, maybe he wants to get saved. And he, and he told me that, you know, I wanted to tell you, because you know I'm dying, I wanted to tell you that I'm not ready to believe. And I thought it was going to be the opposite. My, I was sad and disappointed in that, and I said, what is it? What is it, Paul? What is it? And he goes, you know, I want to believe. He said, but I can't. He's actually from Boston, so he said, but I can't. And as I sat there, I said, Paul, is it really that you can't, or is it that you won't and it was more along the lines the more honest he got that he would not 
And, and my heart and my prayer in those moments, and some of you might remember when you believe. Some of you may have come to know the Lord so many years ago. Maybe you were a child like I was, and I sort of remember this moment praying with my parents and feeling this need of Christ. But in, in some ways, I have a better understanding of my spiritual growth than the very moment I first believed. Maybe some of you were saved as a teenager or as a young adult, and you remember that moment where God began removing the scales from your eyes, and your eyes began opening, and you began to see God for who He really was. Well, this evening, I want to encourage you to trust God to be the eye-opener in your life. Because he's the one that meets us at the point of our willingness. Maybe you've been very burdened for a friend that would not believe. And sometimes we push and push too hard. We need to, we need to instead of pushing, we need to start praying and trusting the God who opens eyes. And ask God to give them the courage to be willing. Because I want you to know, maybe you feel like some of my friends that I described just a moment ago. And you want to believe, but there's something in you that says, I can't. I want you to know, the scripture says that if you seek him, you will find him. Is there a willingness in your heart to believe in Christ? If there's a willingness, God will meet you at the point of your willingness and draw you to his truth tonight. I can't recommend Jesus Christ any higher and any greater because he is indeed our resurrected Savior. As, we, as this story begins to close in verse 32, it says that, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. We don't have a lot of other information about why he disappeared. We do know that Christ's resurrected body was able to make unusual, supernatural feats of placement. He could be here, and then he could all of a sudden be here in his post-resurrection body, although he was recognizable. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. And then it says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. Now, it's interesting. There he was, and then there he wasn't. They don't realize, they didn't realize that they would see, they were likely in the 120 that, that the Lord appeared to, uh, that Paul references in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. They, they may have been in that group, but uh, regardless, they had seen Christ enough, and now they knew. Some of you are here, and you might be more of a skeptical person. You're like, I want that. That's what I want. If he showed up with me, like if I could have dinner with Jesus, if he could break bread, then I would believe. Well, I, I want to encourage you this evening to not refuse Christ just because you haven't had the same encounter as these men have. There is enough evidence to believe in Christ based on what we have in Scripture, what we have in history, and what we have in the testimony of many who place their faith in Him. There is no sufficient answer to explain what happened with the empty tomb other than that Jesus rose from the dead. And what we must do if we want to keep Easter alive in our hearts like these two men on the road to Emmaus did is number four this evening on your outline, and that's this, to keep the wonder of the gospel of Christ. It was a wonderful thing that God was doing in their hearts. And they talked about, you know what I prayed this week for our church, for you, it is verse 32, and they looked at each other and said, weren't not our hearts burning within us? They experienced spiritual heat deep inside. Some of you are going, well, I'm not really like that. I'm not a burning in the heart kind of guy, kind of gal. That's, I'm, just a, I'm just 
more a chilled out person. Well, it's not about you having a different personality. It's about you staying in such close communion with God that you are sensing his reality. Why? Because you know him. That's the whole idea about having a personal relationship. And when you have a relationship that you're investing in and that you're nurturing, you're always excited about it. That's why the scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, to never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Would you just maybe take a moment this weekend and ask, Ask God for a, a Luke 24, 32 heart. Lord, would you burn once again in my heart? I know that you're real. I know that you rose from the dead. And Lord, I've got problems and I give them to you. Lord, I've got challenges. Lord, I've got sins I want to confess. And I give them to you. And I pray that you would alive burn in my heart. I want to be so, Lord, convinced of your word, convinced of your truth, that there's deep spiritual heat within as we consider this story, as we consider this powerful passage, I'd like us to take a moment, bow together, and enter into a time of response. Living Lord, thank you for these wonderful people that are gathered here this evening, and thank you that we could just savor this beautiful story. Lord, thank you. There might be someone here tonight that's discouraged, and they're not walking along the road to Emmaus, they're just sort of walking along the Roads in Leesburg, maybe the roads in Fruitland Park or in Mount Dora or Claremont or Lake Square Mall, just kind of walking around and discouraged. My prayer for them tonight is that you would just show up right in the midst of them like you did. Lord, maybe someone just needs a touch of your healing power. Maybe someone needs a touch of your mercy or kindness or forgiveness. Oh, living God, we accept you for who you are, and we ask you to have your way in us tonight. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.